Good morning, everybody. How many of you, this is not a trick question, how many of you believe that the contents of this book are God's word? Let me see a show of hands. How many of you believe that the contents of this book is God's word? Okay, you passed. This morning, in Lessons from the Seashore, we're going to look at Luke 5, a story that is familiar to many of you. But uh, before I read it from the New King James, let me give you a little bit of background. In the previous chapters, we find that um, John the Baptist is starting a ministry, and he's preaching to people, and he's baptizing them. But what he's preaching about is the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus comes to him and is baptized. And as he comes out of the water, you see the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove, in the form of a dove, and saying, This is my beloved Son, on whom I am well pleased. Following this, Jesus went out into the wilderness and for 40 days was tempted by the devil and then returned back and came to Nazareth. And during his time in Nazareth, he went into the temple, and filled with the Holy Spirit, he began to speak, and they handed him the scroll from the prophecy of Isaiah. And he read what's recorded in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, where it's the words of Isaiah saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he went on saying a little bit more, and at the end the people were so infuriated by what he had said that they drove him out of the synagogue and led him up to the brow of the hill on which the city and they were going to throw him off the cliff. And I hope I don't irritate anybody like that today, but thankfully there's no cliffs around here. Anyway, they, uh, they, in the midst of them, Jesus just turned and walked through them without being seen and, and made his escape. Went down to, uh, the seashore and, uh, started a ministry along there. He's preached in the synagogues, taught with what the Bible says was authority. That's what captured the minds of the people, the hearts of the people, was that this man came and he preached with such authority. And also people were being healed. Demons were being cast out. And uh, the people were just amazed. And he went about doing these things. And the people were flocking to hear him. And the news of him spread. And so that brings us to our text today, just 11 verses from Luke 5, 1 to 11. So it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little further from the land And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your net for a catch. 
But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they were began, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all, and they followed him. We're going to look at this portion of scripture again, just verse by verse. We read that there was a multitude pressing about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, the lake of Gennesaret is a more ancient term for what we know as the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. It was, as one commentator called it, um, the most sacred sheet of water that the earth contains. Why? Because it was the center of Christ's ministry. It was here he selected his disciples. It was here he delivered the Sermon on the Mount. 25 of 35 of his miracles took place by this lake, this sea. And it was here that the foundations of Christianity were laid and which are still spreading to the ends of the earth today. It was situated in the midst of the Jordan Valley. Its banks full of beautiful birds and flowers, fruit. The sea itself, if you've been there, you know it's shaped like a harp, sort of an ovally shaped, six and three-quarter miles wide at its widest spot and a length of 12 and a half miles. It was a main source of living for the people. Josephus, the historian, recorded that there would have been perhaps about 230 fishing boats on the sea, each manned by four or five men. As fish would have been a main part of everyday diet, fishing would have provided a better-than-average income. However, the people of Galilee were to the other Jews of Judea looked upon as second-class citizens because they had a very different kind of crudish accent, and they lacked sophistication in things of religion. But it was to these people, the common people, that Jesus chose to minister. And we read that they received him gladly. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't discriminate against us because we might not be as sophisticated as the crowd or because we might not have as good a command of the language of the day? But it was to them that he chose to to come. Several years ago, I was on tour in Israel, and I was staying at the city of Tiberias on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And we took a boat ride across the sea and uh, did a little touring on the other side. And then on the way back, we stopped at a little restaurant that served what was called Peter's Fish. Like gold eye here, they leave the head on and uh, the eyes looking at you as you pick up your knife and fork. And uh, it wasn't the most tempting dish that I have ever tackled, but it was absolutely delicious. And the morning we were leaving Tiberias, I got up very, very early and uh, 
There was a mist over the sea, so you couldn't see the Golan Heights on the other side. There was, however, one fishing boat sitting just offshore, anchored uh, from where I was standing, and it seemed so significant to me, knowing all about Peter and James and John and Jesus calling them to be fishers of men. So I took the picture that you see standing against the pulpit this morning and had it block-mounted when I returned home so I'd have a constant reminder that I have the same calling on my life today as they did 2,000 years ago. We can imagine that on this particular morning, the fishermen, as they were cleaning their nets, were undoubtedly extremely discouraged. Perhaps they felt like failures. They had fished all night without catching anything. And it was probably not a time when they wanted to see a crowd standing around and seeing their lack of success. It says in verse 1 of chapter 5 that they, as Jesus was standing there, they pressed against him even, uh, trying to get to hear the word of God. That particularly stood out to me because I thought how the churches of North America today could learn from this little passage that despite the charisma of a preacher or despite the eloquence of his or her preaching, despite a grandeur of a building or the talents and abilities of those who were taking part, regardless of the style or how low or high the volume of the music, if the presence of Christ is not there and the word is not going forth in the power of the spirit, they will toil as it were all night and catch nothing. They pressed by him to hear the word of God. Now, you can understand if there was a multitude and they were trying to hear him, how the back ones might move a little bit forward and a little bit forward and until he was right against the shore. And so what he did was saw two boats standing there and... Uh, Of course, the fishermen were out looking after their nets. And so he asks Peter, he steps in the boat, asks Peter to, or Simon to, to push him out a little bit into the lake so he would be in front of the people. A couple of weeks ago, I was down at Manhattan Beach and they were having a baptismal service on the Sunday after church. And so I got talking to a couple of friends and we realized the baptismal was starting and so we went down, but already there was a crowd of people that were standing there against the shore. And the person who was doing the baptizing, of course, was a little bit out in the water. And so I said to my friends, uh, why don't we go over onto the dock there? There's a, a pontoon boat called the Manhattan Maiden. And nobody was on it. So I said, why don't we go down there and, and sit on the boat and we can get a better view. So we did that. And it reminded me, actually, uh, about what I had been studying about that uh, what Jesus did to go out a little bit more so we get a better vantage point. And also, because the stillness of the sea would be just ripe for acoustics, you know how water uh, will take the sound of something and carry it very well. And so Jesus was out there on the, on the sea and uh, preaching to the people. doesn't tell us what he was preaching about. I don't think that that was his reason for being there that morning. But as he was out and he finished speaking, he said to Peter, 
um, launch out. Launch your boat out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch of fish. Now, I, I'm not at all um, surprised if Peter is very unnerved by this suggestion. I mean, Jesus was a carpenter. What did he know about fishing? And uh, it was wonderful to have him there, but anybody would know that at this time in the Sea of Galilee, the fish would not be where he was saying they would be. Uh, he was willing to listen to this teacher on on matters of spiritual things and give way to the fact that he would know more than him. But when it came to fishing, I think Peter just felt that his expertise would be superior. And what Jesus was telling him to do made absolutely no sense to launch out into the deep. You see, on the Sea of Galilee, you caught the fish at night in the shallow water while all the little minnows and shellfish came to the shallow water where it was warm and they would feed there and the other fish would come in and feed on them. But to try to catch fish in the day, in the heat of the day and out in the deep, that just wasn't how it was done. So contrary to all of Peter's training and all of his experience, though, he responds to the Lord, first putting in his little word, Lord, we have, we have toiled all night, we have labored all night, and we have caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Peter was willing to submit to the authority of Jesus, even though it did not make sense and he did not understand. Note Peter's response to what happens. He, he tells them about, we're toiling all night and up, but he does what is said. And so as he does, he lets down the net, and verse 6 tells us that when they had done this, they caught so great a number of fish that their net was breaking. So they signaled their partners, that would be James and John, on the other boat to come and help them. And when they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a wicked man, O Lord. Peter's response is not what you might have expected. Wouldn't you have perhaps expected that he would be jumping up and down with the wonderful catch, especially when the crowd was still on the shore watching? Uh, look what Peter got. Look at the big catch of fish he got. And he had just come from a failure. Now he was going to look pretty good after all of this. But this tells us that Peter was humbled. Not humbled by his night of failure, but by his amazing success. This, says one commentator, is the mark of true character. For if you're humbled by success, then if you experience failure, it will build you up in your character. But if success puffs you up, then success will destroy you, then failure will destroy you. You see, we might have a tendency to compare ourselves with other people, and then we might even have opportunity to boast. But when we compare ourselves to Jesus, we can't help but see our sins and our shortcomings and be humbled in the light of his perfect purity. 
Peter's success here came as a result of obeying God's word. I've heard of people who have suggested that in his vantage point in the boat, Jesus just had been able to see the school of fish that Peter and the others hadn't seen, and so he just called them to put their nets down. Peter knew that those fish would not be there at that time of the day. By obeying Jesus' word, what he was doing was just working in conjunction with all of nature. Because this is the same one who stood on the darkness of space one day and said, let there be light. Or on the fifth day said, let the waters teem with every living thing. The psalmist writes by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Everything that is was there because God spoke it. And nothing was different this day. At his word, tides ebb and flow. At his word, the sun and the moon revolve in their set places. Could it be that there are times when Jesus permits failure and disappointment? Is it possible that he even brings it about in order to bring about a greater plan? I don't think that there's any doubt at all but that Jesus was in the toiling all night and catching nothing. Even when other things cause failure, and sometimes they do because we haven't worked hard at something, we haven't had the wisdom to do something, sometimes we experience failure, but sometimes God is in the failure and in the disappointment because he has a better plan. Hank, I thought of you when I was preparing this. I thought of how disappointed and discouraged you must have been the day you parked your semi for the last time. And then I thought how God was able to use your driving abilities in order to go through the area of Weston here where Jesus knew there were children who needed to be brought in to hear the word of God. And so sometimes he's able to take our disappointments when we give them to him and use them for a greater purpose, much greater purpose than we could have imagined. Because it was his plan to call Peter and James and John that day, that's why he was down on the lake. He wanted to call them to become his disciples and so that they might understand the very importance of this call on their lives. I believe that he allowed the failure, arranged the failure as a setting for a greater success. I believe he taught while they were washing their nets so that he would have a captive audience and they would hear what he had to say and know what he preached. I believe he performed the miracle so that they could experience personally his power at work in their midst and on their behalf. And then he called them to go with these words and in his power so that they might be successful in bringing the gospel to those who had never, ever heard. Why do we need the word of God? Why do we need to be getting into it? What power is there in it? Well, read Psalm 119 and be prepared to put a little time aside because that, of course, is the very long, long psalm. But it's full of great treasure. 
in this sex-saturated society that we live in. Young people, if you want to keep your way pure, we live according to his word. That's what it says. That's the way. How can you, how can you do that unless you know his word? We hide his word in our heart that we might not sin against him. If your soul is weary with sorrow, you are strengthened according to his word. His word is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens when there are other people who give their word and then let you down. Know that his word stands firm. You can bank on it. You can depend on it. Your word is a light, a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. He gives us direction. When we don't seem to know what the way is, he just asks us to trust him and he will, he will give light to that. He's our refuge and shield. I put my hope in your word. We go to him for safety. He directs our footsteps according to his word so that no sin need rule over us or have dominion over us. He gives us understanding according to his word. May my tongue sing of your word for all your commands are righteous. Shauna, that reminded me of the old Psalter that used to have all the scriptures in it. Some of you may know, some of you may remember the days when we sang a lot of scripture. It was the way I learned much of the scripture that I know. And in Kids Club, for example, which we reach out to into the neighborhood on on Tuesday nights, sometimes I think they don't think I know any other songs, but if they learn the song that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will never perish but have eternal life, if they sing that every week and 10 years from now, 20 years from now, that is what comes to mind when they need it, then we will have done what we were there to do. If we let them sing songs like to be excellent in what is good and innocent of evil, and we teach them that and they don't even know that they're memorizing God's word, then he has the ability to bring that back to them at a time when they need it. John 8.52 says, If anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. How is that? Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We taste death for the person on this side because of the of the separation that happens. But for them, it's to go, if they're trusting in God, into the presence of the Lord himself immediately. We're told that we don't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. I will not be afraid because in God's word I, I trust he sent forth his word and healed them. There's healing in his word. In boot camp, we taught the grades sevens and eights while they memorized Psalm 1. And verses 1 and 2, Blessed is the man or the woman who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight or her delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law he meditates day and night. Or read Psalm 19, which tells us that the word of God revives the soul, makes wise the simple, gives joy to the heart, gives light to the eyes spiritually. It endures forever, and it's altogether righteous. His words are more precious than gold and sweeter than the honey from the honeycomb. 
And one verse that I count on is a very special verse to me when I, knowing when I talk to somebody, knowing when I preach, knowing when I'm teaching a lesson, the words of Isaiah 55:10, as the rain and sun come down from the heavens and do not return again, the, the cycle of the water cycle, without watering the earth and making it bud so that it flourishes and that it will yield seed for the sower and bread for the eater, So shall my word be, God says, that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which it is sent. I count on that every time I preach, ensuring that his word and not mine is what is going forth. And the results, whether I hear about them that day or whether I hear about them at all or whether they come a year from now or ten years from now, I know that When his word goes forth, it does not return to him empty. He sends it for a purpose. He sends it this morning for a purpose. And it will accomplish what he desires. We tend to be content to wade in ankle-deep water when it comes to the scriptures. Sometimes we're content with reading a little daily devotional book, and please don't misunderstand. I I have devotional books, and every once in a while I pick one up, and it sometimes seems that just that day that's what I need. But, But if that's what we're doing day in and day out, and we're reading what someone else got out of the Scripture, then you're being cheated, people. He challenges us today, as he did Peter so long ago, that we're to launch out deeper into his word. Not simply to be satisfied with reading what someone else has printed, but to get into the word, to memorize it, hiding his word in your heart so that you won't sin against him. We need to meditate on it, taking what you hear on a Sunday in the scriptures or in your small group or something that you've, you've read in a daily devotional, taking it and instead going deeper in it, searching it for treasures of the deep and let it speak to you personally, directing our paths, bringing joy to our hearts, giving us wisdom and understanding to live for Christ and to grow in our relationship with him. Our world today is in a mess. I think you must know that. If you turn on your TV or you pick up a newspaper, right is wrong and wrong is right. Men and women today are living in darkness As the scriptures say, they're dead in sin. Where Peter and his crew were catching live fish that died as soon as they came out of the water, God called them and he calls us today to rise to a new challenge. And as one commentator said, to throw out the gospel net to gather in those that are dead in their sins and through the power of the word see them made alive unto Christ. You indicated you believe the Bible is the word of God. Do you really? I have to ask myself, do I really believe that the Bible is the word of God? I'm trusting it by faith to get to heaven. But do we trust it day by day as we get up every day and face a new day, a new situation? Do we really trust his word 
Are we using it as a bit of a fire escape and kind of feel good about that, that we know that we've said the right words and we know John 3.16 and someday we're going to heaven? But do you understand that this book is full of everything that you need to live this life and to live it in a way where God will bless your efforts? You don't have to understand. Peter didn't understand. It didn't make sense to him. Sometimes things don't make sense to us that God seems to put in our path or ask us to do. But Peter had enough faith, even that he didn't understand, to let down his net and let God do the work. We're not to be just hearers of the word. We do that well. But we're to be doers of it as well. I was imagining the day of Pentecost when Peter got up to preach, having been filled with the Holy Spirit. And he preached to a multitude of people, and 3,000 people were saved that day. And I kind of imagined him lying on his bed that night, and the events that are recorded in this scripture beginning to flood over his mind And hearing the words, I will make you fishers of men. He listened to the word of God. It didn't make sense. But he said, and this is the part that jumped out at me from this whole, there's there's sermon after sermon, lesson after lesson in this 11 verses. But the part that jumped out at me that I couldn't shake no matter where I went was where Peter says, nevertheless, at your word. And how we need to be able to say that when we don't understand. How we need to be able to say, God, this just doesn't make any sense to me. Nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to obey. I don't think I'm capable of this. Nevertheless, I'm going to obey. I don't think this makes sense. Nevertheless, I'm going to obey. And Peter and the other disciples acted on God's word. And Jesus called Peter and his companions to follow him, and he would make them fishers of men. And they obeyed, and they turned their world upside down. And over 2,000 years later, it's what he asks of you and of me. Get into your word this week. I challenge you, get into the word this week. Find out what it has to say. When you study it, you may need to get a concordance. You may need to get a Bible commentary, and I would suggest that you do that. There are even Bible programs you can get for your computer that you can look at any scripture in any one of the translations of the Bible. You can get a commentary on exactly what it says and what it means, and it'll help you. Or Pastor Allen could be able to suggest to you some type of, of commentary that would help you in your study. Get, go deeper. Go deeper so that the Word of God can transform you like it transformed these guys so long ago. And when you're transformed by His Word, then He's able to use you and use you in a way that will become a personal thing between you and God, that he's just, he's using, what a wonderful thing. 
when they sung this morning, what can I say, what can I do, but offer my heart, O God, completely to you. That was what Peter was saying when he fell on his knees in that boat and acknowledged who Christ was, because he went from having a head knowledge of who Jesus is and what he said to having a personal experience of the power of God at work in his life and for him. And that's a thrill, people. And you, God wants you to experience this. He wants you to know him personally. He wants you to know the power that he has available to you to work in your life and to use you for his glory. But if you're content with ankle-deep water, then you're never going to have those experiences. Go out into the deep and find out what he has for you. Can I ask the worship team to come back or whoever's coming back on here? I wanted to sing a little chorus this morning. Don't worry, worship team, I'm not going to ask you to do it. Well, we used to sing it in Sunday school. And uh, I'm going to be bold enough to lead you in it this morning because I think there's just enough people who know it. Stand up with me. And it goes easily like this. I will make you fishers of men, fishers of men, fishers of men. I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. If you follow me, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men if you follow me. Read your Bible, pray every day. Pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. And you'll grow, grow, grow. And you'll grow, grow, grow. Read your Bible, pray every day. And you'll grow, grow, grow. Sometimes we need to come like little children with a simplicity and get a good word. I'll let you take.